0: From the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm your host and Prindle Institute director, Andy Cullison, and with me is our producer, Kate Berry. Hello.
1: For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case or issue and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story.
0: Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. But as an ethicist, I can offer a defense of Van Halen's zero-tolerance green m M&M and policy.
1: And if you'd like what you've been hearing and want to help us out, the best thing you can do is recommend the show to a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll consider doing that.
0: So, Kate, I'm excited for today. Uh, I hear we have a listener letter.
1: Yeah, we got a letter from a mid-grade officer in the United States Navy.
0: Awesome, what's the issue?
1: Well, he has questions about zero tolerance. Um, He wants in particular to know about the ethical implications of policies that are zero tolerance in the workplace. To him, it always comes off as bluster and that it's zero tolerance for the sake of perception of tough action because inevitably situations will arise that serve as exceptions. He gives an example that there were two sailors One was leading a LSD drug ring in the Navy uh, and was working with his clients to have them avoid drug testing. The other sailor took drugs one time, and it was only discovered two years later through a text message. And both of them were released with uh, other than honorable discharge. He also mentions a third sailor that when it was determined that he had accidentally uh, ingested drugs, that he was actually allowed to stay. And so he points to these as three very different scenarios, but that zero tolerance dictated what happened to them. He also adds, at least for the purposes of his email, that the things he mentions as zero tolerance are drug use, sexual assault, and harassment, and discrimination.
0: First off, thank you for sending this in. I think this is a really interesting case. And I think it's one that people are inclined to encounter in a variety of workplaces, not just the Navy. I mean, zero tolerance policies. That's a phrase you hear quite a bit. So it sounds to me like there's a kind of dilemma here. If you have a zero tolerance policy, if it's really zero tolerance, it's going to result in some apparent unfairness because you're basically going to kick a guy out of the Navy for running a drug ring, but also kick out the guy who maybe tried drugs once, uh, realized they'd made a mistake. Recognized the errors of their way, righted themselves about, spent the next two to three years, you know, really proving themselves to be an invaluable asset. Suddenly it comes out two two to three years later that you did drugs three years ago once, and boom, zero tolerance policy gets you kicked out, right? Right. So if it's genuinely zero tolerance, there's a kind of unfairness. But it sounds like our listener thinks that when they say unachievable, what they're thinking is, it's almost always going to admit of exceptions you're always going to find ways to let people off the hook if their violation didn't seem as bad and so the idea is if it's not genuinely zero tolerance then there's a kind of hypocrisy or the you know the the navy is just doing something to keep up appearances of being zero tolerance but isn't genuinely committed to zero tolerance and so the idea is it's bad either way. Either it's really zero tolerance and it's unfair, or it's not really zero tolerance, which is what our listener seems to think is going to be the most likely scenario, in which case the Navy is just putting on airs, right? Something like that?
1: Yeah, I think that's what he's talking about.
0: And and it also sounds like our listener has sort of two concerns. One seems to be a concern about current actual Navy policy. They even shared with us some some of the language of those policies, but also just a general concern about zero-tolerance policies in general, because inevitably they seem destined to be things that are never really zero-tolerance policies.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: And then the question is sort of, what do we think about those? Are, are those are they okay or not, right?
1: Right, because you mentioned before that zero tolerance definitely doesn't just exist in the military, that almost every workplace probably has at least something that they call zero tolerance.
0: Yeah, there's, uh, they're going to have some lines that you, you cross these lines, and you're done. Right. So let's get to work. Great. Where do we start? I think it would be good anytime we're dealing with a quote-unquote zero tolerance policy get clarity about just what that means. So one thing to get clarity on is what does a violation of the policy trigger? Does it trigger a, a, a kind of binary set of options? And what I mean by that is it's, you know, either you're dismissed or you're not dismissed. So does the zero tolerance policy trigger automatic dismissal from the Navy, for example? Or does it trigger... An array of possible punishments. Does it does it trigger a set of procedures that are just unavoidable? Like you you can't avoid this going under investigation. You can't avoid scrutiny, and you can't avoid one of an array of possible punishments. But the idea is there'd be more gradient there. I, am I making sense?
1: I think so. the The second one seems I don't know if we're ranking them as between better and worse, but better because if it automatically triggers, let's say, some sort of hearing, then it basically just ensures that your supervisor or whomever couldn't sweep something under the rug consider it too small to bring to anyone's attention, that that would be impossible, but not necessarily you would incur the strongest consequence. Right. Um, and do we have a sense of which it is for the Navy in this instance?
0: Well, in the drug case, it was it was a little unclear to me on the one hand, it seemed set up like maybe there's an array of options, but then it does have this language. Uh, It says, says, Navy policy remains clear with regards to substance abuse, zero tolerance. Sailors determined as using drugs shall be disciplined as appropriate and processed for administrative separation and may receive other than honorable characterization of service, which could affect veteran benefits and employment opportunities. Now, the The as appropriate, disciplined as appropriate, suggests to me, like, that admits of gradations of discipline. Um, So on the one hand, it looks like there's some room for gradation. But then, and process for administrative separation. I don't know what processed means. Like, does that mean you're automatically dismissed or you are dismissed pending some kind of further process? But if that is, if processed for administrative separation means you use drugs and you are dismissed from the Navy, no questions asked, then then that is more of a binary uh, kind of punishment. And then I do think it raises the concerns that our listener brought in, right? Which is, well, come on, like being dismissed because you ran a drug ring versus being dismissed because you did drugs once, recognized the error of your ways, and then became a valuable contribution to the Navy for the last three years. There's, there's There does seem to be an issue here.
1: It sort of equates the very bad with the sort of bad.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I do think there is something that our listeners brought to us that, that should give us pause and merits further investigation and further scrutiny. So the, the naval drug policy, it's not clear to me quite how to read it, but it, it certainly suggests that kind of binary punishment where you do the thing and there's, there's no gradient of punishment. It's just you're, you're kicked out. The the sexual harassment policy reads a bit differently. So here's what the sexual harassment policy says. It says, the Navy has zero tolerance for sexual harassment. They're contrary to the core values of honor, courage, and commitment. Service members who model the Navy core values do not engage in demeaning or negative behaviors nor condone these actions in others. Those who commit it as prohibited by this instruction are subject to adverse administrative or disciplinary action. So there it doesn't say you're kicked out. It just says you're subject to adverse administrative or disciplinary action. And it doesn't, it doesn't specify the nature of it. And then it says incidents of sexual harassment cover a wide range of behaviors, from verbal comments to physical acts. can be subtle or overt. The full range, and that's important, the full range of administrative and disciplinary actions is available to address substantiated allegations. These include, but are not limited to, formal counseling, comments and fitness reports, non-judicial punishment, court-martials, and administrative separation. So right there, you're seeing an acknowledgement that there are gradients of the wrongful behavior, and then there's a whole slew of disciplinary actions. Some are just counseling, some are you're kicked out of the Navy. So the the quote-unquote zero-tolerance policy here a violation of it doesn't trigger a binary punishment, a violation of it triggers a process. And that process involves reviewing the nature of what it is that you did, verifying that you did it, and then finding a suitable punishment on this gradient. So that that seems like a zero tolerance policy that doesn't raise the worries that our listener raised about a kind of unfairness where it's all or nothing, right? what it it doesn't trigger a harsh punishment automatically it triggers a process yeah so in in the in the navy we have a drug policy where there does seem to be a kind of binary option where you do drugs and everybody gets this severe punishment you're cut you're you're out of the navy as they call it administrative separation and then in the sexual harassment policy seems to admit of the gradient so let let's focus on our listeners question as it relates to a zero tolerance policy where a violation really triggers a severe punishment no matter how severe the violation was that's the thing that our listener seems to be worried about right that either it's unfair or we're going to be hypocrites right
1: right and he mentioned as, as at least in the first example of the leader of the drug ring and then the one time user that seems That the zero tolerance policy seems to erase the ability to distinguish between bad, very bad, and
0: worse. Okay, so let's go through some reasons to think that that particular kind of zero tolerance policy is bad. What I mean by particular kind is one where it triggers a severe penalty, no matter how severe the crime seems to be. So that was one thing. And then the other thing our listener noted was that this would be unachievable. And what our listener means by unachievable is that inevitably it won't be a genuine zero tolerance policy because any reasonable person is going to look at the less severe crime and say, look, I mean, are we really going to kick this guy out of the Navy because of this one time? Come on, that's that's silly, right? And there's going to be enough instances of that that the policy has no teeth, right? And then, there and then, the our listeners' idea is there's something bad about that, right? You're only zero tolerance for show or for appearances, and you're not genuinely committed to zero tolerance. Let's add on some layers. Let's so uh, you know, in addition to what our listener said, I can draw an analogy to alcohol policy here on DePaul's campus, universities face a dilemma when it comes to alcohol violation either you punish everybody for alcohol violation or you have some scenarios where you don't one scenario where you might not want to punish everybody is scenarios where someone's being a good samaritan let's say let's say a group of first year students all get really drunk in someone's dorm room someone starts to get sick and show signs of alcohol poisoning but everyone else is afraid to get that person help because they don't want to get caught violating the alcohol policy.
1: Right, the alcohol policy is supposed to act as a deterrent, but you don't want it to be such a strong deterrent that students would rather let someone get sick or die than get caught.
0: So DePaul has a kind of good Samaritan policy where it's like, look, normally you get punished for violations of the alcohol policy, but we will have this one exception if you have to disclose that you violated the policy in order to be a good Samaritan and help someone not die from alcohol poisoning, absolutely come get that person help. No questions asked, you you won't be punished in any way, shape, or form. And so that's an example where universities have realized zero tolerance policies can have a negative effect. And so you need to admit of some exceptions.
1: But, if you had someone who felt really strongly about keeping a strict zero tolerance policy, you might inadvertently have um worse consequences, which might be dead students rather than the the less bad thing, which is students breaking the alcohol
0: policy and drinking underage right and I could see this I could see this happening in the Navy as well, right?
1: Well, that makes it seem like zero tolerance could be dangerous uh, if you stuck strictly to it. Are there reasons why or especially since we don't know if the Navy has that sort of good Samaritan policy that, that may not exist um, in that context. Why would a zero tolerance policy be good? Why, I mean, lots of places have them. Are, are they all misguided?
0: One of the main reasons that our listener gives for thinking there's something wrong with strict, exceptionless zero tolerance policies is a kind of fairness objection implicit in the idea that there's something wrong with a drug dealer and a minor offender receiving the same harsh penalty of dismissal. that's That's the main one for exceptionless zero tolerance policies. Now, I don't know what to say about zero tolerance policies in general, but when we are dealing with employees of the federal government, you might carve that out. Employees of the federal government being subject to zero tolerance policies versus employees of some private sector corporation. Now, you, you might think that the military is rightly worried about perceptions, confidence, trust in their organization, given that they are all federal employees charged with upholding the laws of the land, right? And defending the laws of the land from, you know, outside forces, and and you may think that federal employees it's a good question do they have a more stringent duty to obey federal law or not i think there's a case to be made that the answer is yes take the reasons that you think any citizen is obliged to follow the law you know we are a democracy we had a chance to voice our opinions and then the laws that we get are an outcome of that process you know one of the arguments for the moral bindingness of the law on citizens is they were able to participate in a democratic process that they agreed to, right? Ideally, right? Um, and so you may think that there's a reason for everybody to think that they have some obligation to the law, but federal employees occupy a role where they 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 signal an even further commitment and promise to the law, and so you might think. Even if they don't like the laws, even if ordinary everyday citizens would feel free to break some laws that they thought were silly or stupid, maybe federal employees, given their role, have a more stringent duty not to do that kind of thing. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me. It seems like they might have a greater responsibility, especially as people who are supposed to uphold it. But what do you mean even laws they don't like?
0: Have you seen the movie Untouchables? Kevin Costner, Sean Connery. So uh, Kevin Costner plays the character Elliot Ness, and um, it's Prohibition era, and he has assembled a team to take down the evil bootleggers of the town and, and really shut down the illegal alcohol production and distribution operation during Prohibition. And at the very end, it's like one of my favorite parts of the whole movie, you finally get an eye into what Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner, thinks about alcohol prohibition. And uh, he says something that makes you think even he thinks it's silly. Someone asks him, some a member of the press says, hey, uh, you know, it looks like they're about to repeal prohibition. You know, you've know, you spent your life fighting it, etc. What are you going to do if they repeal it? And he looks right at the uh, reporter and kind of smiles and says, I think I'll have a drink. <laughs> and you know, what that, what that scene tells me is that, at least as Kevin Costner's interpreting Elliot Ness or the director, the producer, maybe Elliot Ness didn't mind drinking per se, but because he was a an agent of federal law enforcement and it was a law of the land, he had made a pledge to enforce the laws of the land. So that's what he was going to do. He was going to enforce the laws of the land, even if he thought the laws of the land were stupid. And even if he can admit that, like, should they repeal these laws, I'll be the first one at the bar ordering up a bourbon or whatever. And so that that's sort of what I meant by maybe federal employees have some kind of responsibility to the law, even the ones they think are stupid. That might be one reason that the Navy has for a zero tolerance policy. Like, look, as employees of the federal government, we have a duty of fidelity to the law that is more stringent than your average citizen. Not that average citizens don't have a duty to be faithful to the law as well it's just they're saying ours is more important because of our role as federal employees but i think the military might even be able to amp this up more than just an average federal employee
1: yeah i could see it being a little bit more important for people who can use force than let's say um the workers at the dmv
0: yeah yeah no that's right so police officers members of our armed services, they are allowed to do things that other citizens aren't allowed to do, which is namely use force under certain parameters when it's warranted in the case of law enforcement, you know, prevent some kind of harmful crime or bring a criminal to justice. In the case of the military, prevent a threat from a foreign invader. But but even then, there are rules, right? There, there are rules, As to when a police officer can use force, there are rules and laws as to when someone who's a member of our armed services uh, can use force. And you might think because of that, because they're allowed to really stretch the boundaries of when they're allowed to use force subject to laws, it might be more important for the public to know that they don't take the law into their own hands or that they don't decide which laws are worth following and which laws aren't, right? Given that we've given them the rights to use force, uh, subject to certain parameters, you know, we need to know that the members of our armed services are gonna follow all the laws and aren't deciding which ones they're bound to and which ones there aren't, even if they think they're stupid, even if they think they're harmless. We just, we want the public to know that, people who have been entrusted to use force and subject to laws have also been taught the law is super important and you don't get to decide which laws are worth breaking and which laws are worth keeping. In many ways, it's like uh, us seeing the military obey things even like drug laws is kind of like Van Halen in their green M&Ms. What? So... So do you know you know the story of the story of Van Halen is they they had a a policy a rider in their contracts and it was usually buried somewhere that any venue that they played at in their green room there had to be a bowl of all green M&Ms right so you had to sort out all the brown ones uh this is back in the day when they had different colored brown ones dark brown and light brown uh they didn't have red it was blue uh green yellow orange no they didn't have blue either
1: you know a lot about M&M's.
0: Yeah, I did know a lot about M&M's. So you had to sort out all the M&M's, just a big old bowl of green M&M's. And this got picked up um, as just an example of the absolute like privilege, we're better than everybody else ethos that people had in their minds when they thought about rock stars, right? But. It later came out. I don't know if it was from Van Halen's manager or maybe Eddie Van Halen himself. They said, "Oh no, 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 no that 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 green that green bowl of M and M's served a really, really, really important function because our contracts are super thick contracts, and our stage setup with all the lighting and all the special effects they're really, really dangerous. And if you don't use the right size bolts, if you don't use the right size beams," You know, stress tested to be able to handle a certain weight. If you skimp on any of that, the whole thing could collapse, kill the entire band and probably most of the people in the front row. So you, you've gotta get all this stuff right. And we don't have a way to check to make sure you're getting everything right. So what we do is we bury a seemingly silly request in the middle of it. And we know that if you've honored that request, you have likely honored everything else, right? If you're willing to do the stupid thing and the silly thing that seems inconsequential, harmless to not do, we know you will have stuck to the things that are more important. And then if we don't see that green bowl of M&Ms, we're out because we have no confidence that you're obeying everything else. I see. Let's, Let's bring it back to why you might think it's important for members of the Navy to follow the laws. There are a lot of things that we expect you to do in your exercise of force that we're not going to have any way of ascertaining whether you take those laws seriously or not.
1: Or any defense, right? But we wouldn't necessarily be able to push back in that capacity.
0: And so you might think, how are we going to know that members of the Navy are serious about following the laws? Well maybe we have zero tolerance policies for all sorts of things, particularly things like drug use, right? Where it would be very tempting to be like, ah, what's the big deal? You know, the the country's moving in a certain direction anyway, so it's not it's not really that big of a deal if I do this. You might think, no, we need you to show that you can be faithful to that law so that we can be confident that you're faithful to the ones that that really matter. So the you might think that the zero tolerance policy is kind of like the public's uh, bowl of green M&Ms, so to speak.
1: Well, that sounds like there might be a good reason to hold people to a maybe even impossibly high standard uh, so that everyone's at least trying to do the the best possible thing. But what does that mean for our listeners point about um, zero tolerance policy being hypocritical? because it becomes evident pretty quickly that not everyone will be held to the absolute strictest consequence.
0: I think there's an interesting question as to at what point does your allowing of exceptions to a zero tolerance policy rule become something that starts to look hypocritical? So for example, in the Navy's own drug policy, it says something like all drug use Shall be disciplined, but they don't really mean all drug use. It's only later that they qualify it as illegal drug use. And um, it, it's pretty clear that they don't even mean illegal, dr- all instances of illegal drug use, because we later find out that they're willing to admit of accidental ingestion as a kind of exception, um, even though accidental ingestion still is, strictly speaking, illegal. And so When the Navy starts admitting of these kinds of exceptions, we're already saying, well, we didn't really mean all instances of drug use. And so if these exceptions that are inevitably being allowed for are these kinds of cases where people look at the law and say, well, when we said all drug use, we didn't mean legal drug use. Of course, we didn't mean that and you know when we said all illegal drug use of course we didn't mean the ones where guys like accidentally ingested drugs cuz something was slipped into their drink of course we didn't mean that if if the exceptions are the oh well of course we didn't mean all to include these cases i i don't think it's being hypocritical it's just being sensitive to how our language works and all rarely means all right and as long as you know if it's those kinds of cases then i don't think the exceptions are hypocritical where it starts to look hypocritical is if you start getting into the ah oh, come on let's give this guy a break right because of these particular circumstances that's when it starts to to look hypocritical but i i think even then if you have a zero tolerance policy you start from a stance of you're out unless there's some mitigating reason, right?
1: And at least it marks something as being unacceptable, as something that you absolutely do not want in your organization, which is probably a worthwhile thing to do.
0: Yeah, and at minimum, you make that person go through a process where they at least risk losing their jobs. And they know the default assumption is they're losing their jobs unless they themselves can point to something about the scenario that's like, look, this this should be should be treated as as a as a kind of exception at some point you're going to cross a line where the number of instances of mercy start to look like you don't have a zero tolerance policy at all and really it's just people get punished based on whether they have a quote unquote cool supervisor or not right and and i think a zero tolerance policy could still significantly reduce the number of cases in which one might need to consider mercy, right? The idea is, the default is you're out unless there's something mitigating about the situation. So I just want to thank our listener for giving us this issue. It is a fun issue to think about, and it is a really thorny issue for any organization to be thinking about, sort of do we have zero tolerance policies or not? And if so, what are the zero tolerance policies going to be for? Things to keep in mind, I think, is what is your zero tolerance policy going to trigger in a way that's fair and equitable? Is it going to trigger like either you get this severe punishment or you don't, that binary option that we talked about? If it's going to do that, you really want to think about how it's going to be fairly applied and how like cases aren't going to get treated alike. You're going to have minor infractions and severe infractions suffer the same consequences. So when you have a zero-tolerance policy, uh, be thinking about ways in which it can trigger something that shows everyone that this was a severe offense, but in a way that allows for gradients of punishment based on severity. That's one way. Another thing to keep in mind about zero-tolerance policies is they, they might be useful ways to enforce ideals that you think are unique or special responsibilities of people who work in your organization. So for example, in the case of the federal government or in the case of the military, there might be special reasons to enforce fidelity to the law that you wouldn't have for ordinary everyday citizens. And so if your organization has members whom you've all agreed are gonna be bound to certain kinds of ideals, that people outside the organization might not be bound to, that might be a place where you're like, okay, maybe a zero tolerance policy of some kind is worth it to enforce that particular ideal. And then I, I think the last thing is with this idea that a zero tolerance policy is always going to admit of exceptions, people are always going to find reasons why they think it shouldn't apply in this particular case. I think our listener is right that People are human and we are merciful and we do find reasons why some people might be afforded mercy in certain kinds of situations. That said, I'm not sure it's a reason to do away with zero tolerance policies entirely. You might think there's value in communicating this is the ideal. This is the thing we strive for. And yes, we're going to come across times where we think there are exceptions, but our only hope is that we get those exceptions right, uh, that, that we we show mercy when mercy is warranted, but it behooves us to keep this ideal very much before the mind's eye, and, and zero tolerance policies, even if we occasionally deviate from them, might still be something that we really need to keep in mind and, and keep in place. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison.
1: And I'm Kate Barry. If you have a question about business ethics you'd like answered on the podcast, email me at at Depod.edu and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air.
0: We hope you are staying safe and healthy in this crisis. We also hope you can take some of what we discussed here and get it to work.
1: If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstituteorg getethics to work That's all one word: get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is still the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePaul alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.